So today we talk about something called, most of us haven't heard this word before and it's not Greek. Pronounced. Egdesis, which is not a Greek word, it's not found in the Bible, but I thought why not add a little educated. Egdesis, Wilderness 40, today's title is Egdesis. Egdesis is the process of molting. It's the process of molting, a shedding of the old to fully reveal the new. We talked about how the Holy Spirit has led us into the desert. The Holy Spirit led us into the desert so that we may have a greater revelation of God so that we may return with power and so that we may be ready to restore desolate heritages and prove ourselves an essential service in the post-COVID landscape that awaits. That is the intent of Wilderness 40. And today we talk about this word egdesis, which is basically uh, this idea or the process of molting or a shedding of the old to fully reveal the new. It is not taking on the new. It is shedding the old so that the new may be revealed. And you see a lot of desert creatures that go through this process where they shed an old skin and then the new emerges. It's not that the new wasn't there. It is that the old had to be shed. And so molting is necessary for both growth and transformation. In the case of a butterfly, it's required for transformation. You literally have to shed the old cocoon to emerge as a butterfly. So molting is necessary for both growth and transformation. And strangely enough, the way it takes uh, place, or the, what, what happens is there's an intake of water and an intake of air, and it splits the old covering. And uh, I'm drawing parallels here. But one of the easiest ways for us to molt as in shed what is old and come into the new, is to engage in an intake of water, and I'm comparing that to the word, and an intake of air, which I'm comparing to the Holy Spirit who's known as Numa or Ruah, so that the outer covering breaks. But unfortunately, in most of our lives, this process is unfinished. In most of our lives, both sitting here and in Christianity in general, this process of molting is unfinished, and so it traps us between two spiritual phases. So half of us is new, half of us is still stuck in the old because the molting is incomplete. And so today what I want to talk about is, okay, in the desert, before we come out, is it possible to once and for all shed the old to fully reveal the new? Shed the old to fully reveal the new. And that's what we'd be talking about. Guys, it's a shame that my mind identifies more with my old self, even though it no longer lives. It is a shame that my mind identifies more with my old self, even though it actually no longer lives. Galatians 2 verse 20 and 21 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Yet, more often than not on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, it's a shame that my mind identifies more with my old self, 
when it no longer lives. When in actuality, I must identify myself completely with Christ. In actuality, I must identify, I must identify completely with Christ. But I don't. I find it easier to identify with the old self, with the old Jacob. When I say identify with Christ, identify with what about Christ? Identify with the fact that he is perfect in all his ways. Identify with the fact that he is amazingly holy. Identify with the fact that he is the image of God, the radiant image of God. Identify with the fact that he is intimately located in the Father's perfect love. Intimately located in the Father's perfect love. Identify with the fact that um, he is located in the Father's presence. Identify with the fact that he is at the Father's right hand. So let's look at all what we said. We said, one, he is perfect in all his ways. These are the things we are identifying with, perfect or righteous in all his ways. We said he's amazingly holy. We said he is um, the radiant image of God. We said that he is intimately located in the Father. We said he is intimately located in the love of the Father, the perfect love of the Father. We said he is intimately located in the perfect love and presence of the Father. We said he is intimately located in the perfect, in, in the perfect love and the presence of the Father at his right hand. These are some of the things, just some of the things that I could immediately think of that we need to identify with. Because if we did identify with these things, then you would find that you no longer are continuing to hold on to old skin, which should have molted by now. But in most Christians' cases, and in all our cases, I would say to you, it hasn't molted. If I began to identify with Christ, I would find that, huh, it's not too often that I think of myself really as perfect or righteous. I only do that occasionally when I'm singing or when it's an absolute need. I would not see myself as amazingly holy. And yet Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I rarely see myself as the image of God. I rarely see myself as being intimately located with the Father. Intimately in his presence, intimately at his right hand, intimately in his perfect love. The same privileges that Jesus enjoys are actually mine. This is not how we think. It is not how we think. If we thought like this, our worship, our prayers, our attitudes with sin, our attitudes towards righteousness, our attitudes towards each other, our emotions, our interests, um, would be so radically different than what it is right now. But somehow, we are caught between these two spiritual phases, one of the new and one of the old, and uh, it leaves us neither here nor there. 
And if I'm going to return from this desert, I want to return having taken care of this so that my mind is thinking a certain way and is going towards the default of thinking a certain way. Any questions? These are just some of the things I identified about Christ. There are more. You can write your own list. Is this how you think of yourself? I'd suggest no. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm positionally like this or uh, whatever other word you want to use. It's another thing to think like this, to breathe, to inhale and exhale it. So if you go to Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24, and let's just read it from the Passion Version. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. See what it says. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So my new self, and it's a real new self, it actually exists, my new self is actually created, as in recreated. When I got born again, my new self was recreated and has, therefore, the righteousness or the right standing or the right ways or the perfect ways of God. It has the holiness of God and it is made, it's renewed in the image or the nature of the creator or another word for this would be likeness this is who I really am this is who I really am Pastors may remind you, you are not. I may remind you, you are not. You may remind yourself, you are not. Your spouse may remind you, you are not. The world may remind you, you are not. When you look in a mirror, you may be reminded that you are not. Your present conduct and behavior does not seem to carry this through. But in reality, in terms of who I actually am, my new self, which God recreated when I got born again, has righteousness, has holiness, and has the very likeness of God. This is truly who I am. If I don't believe and embrace what has happened to me, and I have not yet, I have these moments when I do, 
strange thing is I only think like this after having sinned. If I thought like this before I sinned, I would not sin. But I think like this after I've sinned so that I can make myself feel better. This was not a feel better clause that God added. This was a this is who you are clause that God added. If I don't begin to embrace and believe what has happened to me and who I have become in Christ, then life will be pockmarked with guilt and accusation and insecurity. If I don't believe and embrace what has happened to me and who I have become in Jesus Christ and by Christ, then my life will be pockmarked by guilt, by accusations of the enemy, of myself, of people around me, and of insecurity. Because it is very hard sometimes to stand before God without being who he has made you. The Passion Version of verse 23 in Ephesians says, Now it is time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. I would suggest to you that this teaching is, not, is an old revelation that can make you new. This teaching is an old revelation. There's nothing new. This has been in the Bible for centuries. It's an old revelation that can make you new by having you think a certain way. And I pray, God, that over the span of the next 10 days, that you really attempt to make this your default way of thinking. It is not that you aren't already new. It is that you need to bolt and leave the old skin behind in the desert before you come out of the wilderness into a post-COVID landscape. The thing with Revelation is, guys, if you just write it down and don't begin to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to let it sink deep, Revelation turns into information. The thing with Revelation is once it is um, received, you have to then begin to think it, you have to play around with it, uh, dig into it, uh, ponder on it, meditate on it, find out scriptures that support it. That is how Revelation becomes flesh, the word becomes flesh. Otherwise the word becomes knowledge and knowledge becomes information and it puffs up and so it's good for a sermon. So my question is, why can't I inhale and exhale the righteous life I already possess? Why is it that I'm not inhaling and exhaling the righteous life I already possess? Why is it that I can't hear his life-giving, I am pleased with you, son, voice? Why is it that I'm always striving to be righteous and always striving to please him? Why is it that it's always the cart before the horse? Why is it that Jacob is always striving to be righteous and always striving to please him? Why is it instead that Jacob can't inhale and exhale the righteousness that he already possesses and the life-giving, I am pleased with you, son, voice that is always hovering over his head? I mean, wouldn't it be more natural than striving to be righteous and pleasing? If I'm already something, wouldn't it be natural to live that out? Whenever truth takes deep root in your life, whenever you clear the undergrowth, 
and you allow truth to take deep root in your life, then you will find that weeds struggle to grow. Whenever you, whenever you um, remove the undergrowth, whenever you clear the undergrowth, and you let truth take deep root in your life in any area, you will find that weeds struggle to grow. At some point, I remember in my life, the undergrowth with regard to sickness and disease was cleared, and this truth took deep root that Jesus Christ heals, and he loves healing. He's Yahweh Rapha, and you can trust him to heal you every time. At some point in the first year of my Christian life, it took deep root. And when it took deep root, the weeds of disease and sickness now find for the last 31, 32 years very hard to grow. Somewhere in the first two years of my life as a believer, here is a truth that took deep root, that God is before anything else a father, that he is your Abba, that he is your father. Relate to him as father, Jacob, and you will solve a major portion of your life in that one truth being embedded deeply in your heart. And somehow along the line, by the grace of God, it happened. And it has been one of the most powerful truths in my life, that God is Father. And it is seen in my conversations, in my leading, in my worship, in my teaching. It will come across again and again. Why? Because now the weeds of servanthood or not being a son or God being sovereign and um, 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 like a flippant, or doing whatever he wants without being a father is gone forever. I can never think like that. When truth takes deep root, weeds struggle to grow. If this truth takes deep root, the weeds of, a, of an old self will struggle to grow. It'll be, it'll be very difficult. Any questions? Any questions, guys? No? Everyone's eating happily? I can look across the room. Oh, yes, I see someone eating there. Yes, I see someone eating there. Thank you, sister. I see someone eating there. <laughs> You want to be eating. Come. <laughs> yeah. The essence of this new life is not mine. The essence in its in its in its essence, this new life is not mine. Because it's the anointed one living his life through me. The essence of this new life, the essence of this new life. is not mine. The essence of this new life, it's not mine. It is the life of the anointed one being lived through me. It is the, it is the life of the anointed one being lived through me. And therefore, we, as in he and I, live in 
union as one. We live in union as one. It's such a beautiful truth that I, at this present moment in time, I, Jacob, I'm living in union with someone else. That the essence of the life that you presently see, both the animated physical life, the mental, spiritual, emotional, relational life, because you can't clinically separate life and say, this belongs to Christ, Christ affects this. No. This life that you see me living, in its essence, it's not mine. It is the life of the anointed one who actually lives through me. And therefore, we live in union. Jesus and I live in union as one. It would be like, say, Aaron... Uh, selling his house for 200 bucks or 2,000 bucks or 1,000 bucks. Let's say Aaron sells his house for 1,000 bucks and he comes and buys my apartment for 100 bucks. And then uh, even though the apartment belongs to him, he gives me the keys to the apartment and says, it's yours, I've bought it for you. Even though the title deed is mine here, it's yours. And by the way, I sold mine for 1,000, so here's the 900 extra that I got. That's yours too. And then, having done that, he stands on the outside and he doesn't come in. And he waits for me to let him in. And if I do, he now begins to live with me. And we live in union in the house that he bought by paying off, by selling off his house. It's literally like that. It is someone who has bought me. And then having bought me, given me the keys to my house, even though he holds the title deed. And then stand outside and knock and say, can I come in? And if, I, if he comes in, then he and I begin to live in union. That's how this works. But we live in union. Jesus and I live in union as one, which is why sin grieves, which is why any collision with sin impacts him, which is also why I can draw now from the only life I actually possess and begin to reflect his interests, his emotions, his attitudes. You have to wrap your head around this because if you don't, you will never be able to escape the part of the old skin that will stick to you forever. It's like a, a creature that has old mold stuck to him forever. You can't shake it off because you never did it when we begin. It's a terrible way to live and we live more than half the day. Well, I mean, we live three quarters of every day in two spiritual phases, never fully free. I'm getting texts from other countries saying, please use black or blue pen on the board while preaching. For our international audience, I'll, I'll, I'll have to shift to black pen now. Uh, could the pen director get me a black pen? Pen director. Pen, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Pen, di pen director, thanks. <laughs> sorry, that just, I don't know what happened there. It just got up here. Could you, could you just focus the camera on him, uh, Manoj? Pen director. So the essence of this life is not mine. Any questions, guys? Any questions?
So I live this life that isn't mine by sheer unswerving faith in the one who loved me and died for me. I live this life that is not mine. Shit. What a crazy thing has happened when you got born again, eh? I live this life that is not mine by sheer unswerving faith in the one who loved me and died for me. I'm just quoting scripture. Galatians 2.21. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and died for me. And the strange thing is, he in turn thrills at my love. He, as in God, thrills at my love for him. And even though he knows my love for him is imperfect, yet he also knows it's birth from faith. John 20 verse 29, Jesus turned around to his Thomas and said to Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are they that believe even though they have not seen. You don't know what a big ask it is. You don't know how thrilled God is that you without having seen him, believe him and love him. Any questions? You know, the thing is, you know these truths. So I'm not telling you anything new. If you've been for Christ's life, you already know these truths. It's just that it hasn't translated into 24-7 everyday living. Because if it did, I would see it. My thought life must support the reality of my new nature. My thought life must support the reality of my new nature. My thought life, as in it is here that I don't think like that, right? In my spirit, I may know this. Occasionally, I might read scripture and I remember it. We did this teaching in 2015 and 2017, so we could remember it from then. Not this teaching, about renewing. But my thought life must support the reality of my new nature. And it usually does not. So I have to train my thought life to support this reality. The, your thought life has to be trained. Part of the weaponry in 2 Corinthians 10 is to pull, out, pull down strongholds, yes. But part of the weaponry in 2 Corinthians 10 is also so that you would pull down some of these strongholds in your own life. Um, different ways you can look at it. Oh, shucks. I think I've... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah, password works. Um, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. I'm supposed to do that so that my thought life supports my new nature. So that my thought life supports my new nature. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ.
Guys, once you begin to live like this, it's almost like having a clean house. A clean house is easier to keep clean. A clean house is easier to keep clean. Once your house is clean and uh, all the things from under the bed and over the um, uh, cupboard is removed and someone comes and does this amazing cleaning job of your house, when you enter, it is easier to keep it clean. Uh, man, th I remember when I was a kid, my sister used to insist on cleaning my room. <laughs> on one hand, I would be very thankful. On the other hand, it would be dreadful because once she cleaned the room, I couldn't do anything in that room. Like I couldn't drop a piece of paper. I couldn't sit on the bed because if I sat on the bed, the bed sheet would wrinkle. I could not sit on the chair because then the chair would move. So once you cleaned it, it had to be left absolutely clean. So that's, that's not where I'm going. What I'm trying to say, <laughs> because I think she's listening. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, it is easier to keep a clean room clean. And that is this idea of having my thought life support the reality of my new nature. And once I begin to think like that, you will find that it is very natural for you to continue down that road. Your new normal is your new nature. Your new normal is not sinless living. Every time you don't sin, you think it's wonderful? No, it's just normal. So here's an example, for instance. On one hand, to say you have sinned is true. On one hand, to say that you have sinned is true. But to say I am free of sin is truer still. This is what I mean by the new nature. Yes, on one hand you can say I have sinned and it is true. But to say I am free of sin is truer still because that is the reality. This is just an example. Just think of this thought, guys. When God looks at me, he sees his image. When God looks at me, he sees... In, this is not a grace message. I'm not going down the path of grace right now. Leave alone hyper-grace. I'm just saying, when God looks at the real me, he sees his image. It's like looking into a pool of water and he sees his image. Why? Because he sees someone who has been recreated in his likeness, in his righteousness, in his holiness. This is not for his um, sake that I'm stating this fact. I'm stating it so that you really begin to grasp 24-7 the actual condition of your life. And therefore then, to have him look at you and uh, have to work his way through what is distortion of sin ceases to exist because you begin to love who you are. Don't you hate it when you sin? Isn't there a natural hatred now as a believer when you now begin to sin or say something wrong or have an attitude that is poisonous? Isn't it natural for you to hate it? It is also natural for you to love who you are because of what you've become and because of what he's done. And the more you love something that way, the more you will guard it and live it. It gives you a freedom to run. I'm saying that 
you need to begin to think like this so that when you come out of the desert, this is already becoming uh, a way of thinking for you. What will be the effect of it? You'll find us being holier. And holiness always shows. Holiness shows by unholiness being exposed. Holiness shows by just a passion that is very different. It is impossible to have zeal and passion for God without holiness. So rather than drum up that zeal and passion without holiness, the zeal and passion now becomes an outgrowth of your holiness. In your attitudes, in your interests, in your emotions, we'll talk about that. You can draw all that from Christ because of what he's done. Thing is, guys, I'm making up my mind that I can't keep going back on this because it repudiates God's grace. It just, uh, Paul put it this way, I will not receive God's grace in vain. And so I'm deciding that, Father, this is not going to be a teaching that is great, but it is going to be something that I will not go back on because I have gone back on this uh, before. I want this to be the most natural thing for me, as natural as hearing as natural as expecting you to heal, as natural as calling you Father. I want this to be as natural as that. I want this truth so deep in my life that it is inviolable, non-negotiable, normal. So I don't want to go back on this because it repudiates God's grace. This is why we end up viewing grace as peripheral. Because we're so not into the habit of inhaling and exhaling righteousness and holiness. We are so not in the habit of continuously seeing that cloud with a writing on it that hovers over your head which says, I am pleased with you. Instead, we are so caught up, the focus is more on, I must please God. I must be righteous because I love him. Nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a good thing. But the platform that you stand on before you do that is different. This is how the Holy Spirit wants me to think. I must renew my mind. I must renew. I must renew the mind of the Spirit. Uh, I must renew the. I must renew the spirit of my mind. I must renew the spirit of my mind by putting on the mind of the Spirit. I must renew the spirit of my mind, or in other words, I must renew the thinking that I do with my mind by putting on the thinking of the spirit. I must renew the spirit of my mind by putting on the mind of the spirit. I want to try that pumpkin thing next week. And an extra shot on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not speaking fast today. I even took some of, uh, May brought uh, Jane some black cold coffee. And so I poured half of that into this. Yeah. But you got enough, right? Yeah. Plus you're eating a lot sitting there. So it's all good.
Because sister, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> about the scripture, yeah, 1 Corinthians 4.20. Yeah. Guys, so then when we go down this road and begin to talk like this, the question is, isn't there a place for dealing with sin? Isn't there a place for correction? Shouldn't there be rebuke? Shouldn't there be the need to judge oneself? Shouldn't one express godly sorrow for sin? Shouldn't one repent? Shouldn't one be disciplined? Yes. But after establishing the reality of this truth, all those things are not sidelined. They're an active part of our lives. There is the need for discipline. There is the need for repentance. There is the need for correction. There is the need to rebuke. There is the need to judge oneself. There is the need for godly sorrow. All these are absolutely um, important Christian uh, principles that must be used in life. But they must find their place after establishing the reality of the above truth. If you don't establish this truth, then that is the forest that you keep getting lost in. But you establish this truth and it becomes so much easier. I mean, uh, on Oculus Quest, there's a game called Ricky's Plank. So it's, like I've said, it's walking this plank, and it's a 47-story fall. But if you want, you can take two hand vacuum-like things and hold them. And they're actually jetpacks. So even if you fall, you can turn them on, and so you don't fall. You start zooming around with those jetpacks. Jeevan didn't have the packs. He didn't know the packs exist. Rhonda had the packs, but we have a video of her just sitting down on the floor because she doesn't want to move. <laughs> so the point is, guys, once you have this truth, even if you fall off, you do not crash. You have the ability to keep moving. If this truth is not established, then sin and righteousness is like mountain and valley. Up one day, down the other day. Three good days, four bad days. We've got to end this, man. God has provided you a way to live. The other side should become abnormal for us right now. For most Christians, sinning is normal and living righteousness is a struggle. I should get to a place where living righteousness is my joy, my passion, easy peasy Japanese, lemon squeezy, and it is fun. And then, uh, no, that was, uh, it came out, but it's too late now to withdraw it. And so, and so now that you've gotten there, you've got to, it, it has to become so normal to you that sin seems odd. Sin becomes an occasional thing, which you don't even enjoy. Any questions? Any questions? Sorry? Yes. <laughs> Any questions, guys? Okay. So, given who lives now through me, and given with whom I live in union as one, I love that idea. Eh? I, I was telling him this morning, Father, uh, do you realize that you and me live in union as one? 
That's pretty amazing, eh? Which makes you possessive of him in a very protective sense, even though he doesn't need protection. It would be like if uh, Sheldon handed you uh, Phoebe or Subin handed you Danny and he's in your arms and now you get a little more protective uh, because you want to keep the child safe here. It's that kind of a feeling, though God does not need your protection. But, but you and him begin to live in union as one. The life that you presently have is not yours. It is, in essence, the anointed one living through you. And given that, here are some important statements that we need to realize uh, are real. I have an umbilical bond with Jesus. I have an umbilical bond with Jesus in that He shares his ascended life in the Father's presence with me. This is not a Jesus of Nazareth life. This is the life of the risen Christ. This is what Jesus, uh, Paul used to refer to as the resurrection life. It's an umbilical bond with Jesus. It's, a, it's an unbreakable connection. Why? Because I'm not talking about a, a telephone line. I'm not talking about hearing. I'm not talking about being able to pray or I'm connected with God. No, 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 no. This is life itself that Jacob has. He has because he has this cord that connects him, not to his mother in this case, but to his father through Christ brought to me by the Spirit. And, and, and I share, I share, as in, as in I'm a co-sharer. There's nothing that is held back. I share fully. There's nothing that is held back. I share as an equal partner his ascended life, his risen life, that life that is insurmountable, that life that is uh, all-conquering, that life that death cannot affect, sin cannot affect, Satan cannot affect, that life that is insurmountable, that life that is impervious to anything evil, that life that is right in the Father's presence, that life which is life-giving, that life which flows, that life that only knows intimacy with the Father, that very life I share as a co-equal partner with Christ. And it is all that I have. It is the only thing I have. It is the only thing I have. It is the only thing I have. Why am I settling for something else? What am I settling for? I'm settling for physical life. When, when who I really am is so much more superior. Once my thought life begins to support this reality, it'll be very hard for me to feel abandoned. Because I'm constantly located in his intimacy, in his presence. It'll be very hard for me to be afraid because I'm located in his perfect love. It is very hard for me to think that I cannot overcome because I'm seated at the right hand of Christ above all powers. It'll be very hard for me not to hear or to think that I will not hear. 
ought to feel that God doesn't care, ought to feel that I'm not at the center of his affection. All these things will begin to fall away like those science fiction movies where someone is made up of some kind of a matrix and he begins to crumble or sand, it just falls and there's a lump of sand at your feet. It's literally like that. All those things begin to crumble when this happens. This is not a good place to go to because all your prayers of abandonment of, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Oh Lord, you have left me. Oh Lord, you don't care. Oh Lord, you don't love. Oh Lord, let me write a song about being crushed. All those things will now be over. You won't be able to go down that route anymore. Okay. Uh, another example of I have sin, it is true that I have sinned, but it's truer still that I am free from sin. Uh, another one. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to find one where I can substantiate it with scripture. Uh, I walk here on earth, and um, um, yet, it is, yes, it is true that I walk here on earth, but it is truer still that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. It is truer still. Let me, let's try another one. Um, Um, I may have no, it, it, it may look like I have no protection here, seemingly unprotected on my own, but my life is actually hidden in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. I'm just picking up scripture, Colossians 3, Ephesians 2, 7. Um, let's think of another one. Um, yeah, when it comes to sickness, I know that at present, uh, I may be displaying the sign of such and such a sickness, but I also know that I was healed by the stripes that Christ bore. It, it is in the past tense. Most of these things, because of the simple words that Jesus spoke on the cross, it is finished. Most of these things have been registered into the past and you lived, live what he has done in the present. Yeah, Jeevan? Cool. So I have an umbilical bond with Jesus in that he shares his ascended life with me, a life in the Father's presence, insurmountable, impervious to sin. This is the beauty of it. My life is impervious to sin. Sin cannot surmount it. Sin cannot uh, overpower it. It cannot. Neither can Satan, nor can death. Here's another one. I love this one. I've been practicing it. I can draw my emotions my interests, my attitudes, my attitudes from him, from Christ, for his private life is fully mine. Ah. Such a cool sentence. 
we think God is a public domain God, as in um, one of those celebrities who get reported on every newspaper, every magazine. Not really. He was absolutely private and he was happy being private till he decided that he would display himself publicly, first through the prophets and the teachers and then through his son, Jesus Christ, and then through the body. But there's, there's still such an infinite depth of his life that can be plumbed by his children. If you are still trying to figure out who your spouse is or who your children are or who your parents are, imagine dealing with an infinite God. And I love the fact that I can today begin to draw my emotions, as in my even my emotional response to things, expressed through my unique personality. I can draw my emotions from his private life. Because his private life, this life that Christ holds, uh, is now fully mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I can draw my emotions from it. I can draw my interest from it. The strange thing is all our myriad personalities, all our myriad interests have been created by a God who is a reservoir of all these interests, emotions, attitudes. And then he gives some to you, gives some to me, gives some to another. I, through my present personality, can still draw my emotions from him. Why? Because it is the anointed one that is living through me. And he and I are in union with one another in this life. I can draw my interests from him. I can draw my attitudes from him because his private life has become mine. It'd be like, you know, they do this often. It's one of those, uh, rather than give you a million dollars, there are people who will give a million dollars to spend six hours with Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. Why? Because they get to sit with those people across the table, sipping coffee, and uh, trying to delve into their minds, dig up things, hoping that they can be the next billionaire. Usually it doesn't happen. It's just your dinner gets paid for. But the point is this, that you get to spend one-on-one -on -one private time with someone who's just brilliant at what they do. The Oracle of Omaha. Om Om Omaha. Omaha. Anyways, the, the point being this, that at the end of the day, I get to now draw from the private life of God himself. My business interests, my emotions, my attitudes can be drawn from him. And he's got them crafted and ready for me. Any questions? How do I get to follow all this? Who makes it possible? All this is made possible because of the life that is fully imparted to me by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit imparts this to me. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12 to 16 talks about this. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16, that listen, you guys are spiritual people. You guys have the ability to get into knowing the things of God that others wouldn't know. For we did not receive the spirit of the world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. We articulate these realities with words imparted to us by the spirit. We join together spirit-revealed truths with spirit-revealed words. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects these revelations, for they make no sense to him. But those who live in the spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things. The Holy Spirit brings all these truths to me. 
Here's another one. In him, I belong to an age to come. In him, in him, in him, I belong to an age to come. Belong to an age to come. And can enjoy many of the benefits now. And ascribe to its standards. In him, as in in Christ, because he belongs to a kingdom that already exists and is going to come. In Christ, I now belong to an age that is yet to come. But I can already start enjoying some of these benefits. Some of its benefits. The world will see him one day. I already see him today. The world will have bodies that are healed. I get to have my body healed today. The world will call him Lord and Father one day. I already have him as Lord and Father. The world will have answers one day. I already have answers from him. In him I belong to an age to come and I can enjoy some of its benefits now. Ask yourself, do you? Ask yourself whether it's an active part of your daily living. I must enjoy today the benefits of the age to come. Contentment, healing, forgiveness of sins, comfort, peace, ridiculous joy, life, giving of life, pouring out the spirit, Receiving the Spirit, love, kindness, faith, invisible realities become, becoming visible. Isn't this what a Christian life is composed of? And shouldn't it be something that I yearn to both experience and express so that the world can see the invisible kingdom through a visible Jacob? So I both get to enjoy it and then I ascribe to its standards so that the standards are not prescribed to me by the systems around me. I marvel at the fact that the grace of God is sufficient in a time of dire need, people losing jobs, COVID for six months, that most people at Acts 29 have been doing well. It is a sheer gift of God. While ministries are crying out, for money and are scared that they will lose attendance, we have to keep people away. Here's another one. In his death, it's very similar to this point. In his death, I have been severed from the old world order and its dominion. In his death, I have been severed. In his death, I have been severed from the old world order and its dominion. Think like this. Think like this. I've been severed from the old world dominion that the way the world system works is not what dominates me. They are in the world but they are not of it, O God. That was his prayer. Father, I leave them in the world, but they're not of it. They live to a different beat. 
All this is possible on one hand by externally trying to follow it. But what if we actually took to heart that I have come into union with him and he and I are now one. He, the anointed one, lives his life through me and we live in union as one. We live in union as one. <laughs> Man, if just that truth sinks in, that I live in union with him as one, I'd be so circumspect in the way I did things. Because the fact is, guys, we love him. The fact is, we love him. And then when these truths come in, love gets shape or form or substance. We love him. Last point. His power has seated me with him. His power has seated me with him. It says so in Ephesians 1, verse 22 to 26, that his power has seated me with him. His power has seated me with him. Under kindness and grace and above powers. His power has seated me with him. Under his kindness and grace, but over other powers. I love how Ephesians 2, 7 puts it. I have seated you in heavenly places so that in this age and in the ages to come, I can shower you with my grace through the kindness that Christ has shown you. And I also want you to know that I have seated you far above powers and principalities. So this is another reality that happens because of this new self that I have that I am seated with him by his exertion of power, I am seated with him presently. And I sit under great grace and kindness every day for the rest of eternity, but I also sit above powers and principalities and authorities in every name that has been named. One of the things that I'm convinced of, and it has been this way for long, but this teaching just reinforced it, is this idea that because I am in Christ and Christ is in me and he is intimately located in the presence and the perfect love of the Father on his right hand, I unfortunately can no longer claim that God is not hearing me. In, instead, I know that every time I speak, God hears me, that I will only leave his presence when Christ leaves his presence. That the only way I can exit his presence, the only way I can be absent from the Father is if Christ exits the Father's presence and is absent from the Father. But he was absent one to be forever present. And therefore, I will not have a moment of absence. That I will be forever present. That my words are always heard. That there's nothing that happens in my life that isn't actually playing out before him. That before I speak or before it even happens, he is there and he is waiting. Now more than anything else, my new self has the righteousness, holiness and likeness of God. It is really who I am. Why can't I inhale and exhale this righteous life that I already possess? Under his life-giving, I am pleased with your son voice. And if I don't, 
my life will be pockmarked with guilt, with accusation, with insecurity. Ah, you don't know how liberating it is. I abandon, when I, when I don't live this way, I abandon what can free me to live. That song which says, I'm free to live, I'm free to run, I'm free to dance, is not because of praise music, it is because of this. It frees me to live. This was what I was born for, this was what I was recreated for. This is the most natural thing for a son of the father. Please see if you can let it sink in, let it go deep in so that weeds will not grow. Weeds will struggle to grow. I abandon the um, freedom that I have to run free. I abandon the ability to run free. And it should be something that should be so natural to sonship, running free. Uh, I, I just want to sing a song that we had written ages ago um, that kind of brings in this truth. So I'll ask Chris to play the piano. What is this supposed to do, like, other than hide my face? Makes my singing sound nicer. Is this on? Sorry, Diana, you said something? Oh, they don't need to see. They didn't see on the board. Oh, no, no, no. Chris doesn't need that. He doesn't even know which song. of another for the life I used to live has now ceased to exist terminated on the cross I work the works of another I've ceased from my own for if I no longer live my striving is as dead as stone. One more time. 
I live the life of the sky, the life I used to live. Has now ceased to exist, terminated on the cross. I work the works of another, I've ceased from my own. For if I no longer live, my striving is a dead ass stone. I'll stand fast in the liberty for which Christ has set me free. By the law of the spirit of life in Christ, I will walk in his victory. So I'll stand fast in the liberty for which Christ has set me free. By the law of the spirit of life in Christ, I will walk in his victory. I will walk in his victory. I am a man of choices, of rest and destiny. I can do nothing for him. He does everything in me. The life that I now live is the life of the Son of God. All he was there, I can be the father of God. I am a man of choices, of rest and destiny. I can do nothing for him. He does everything in me. The life that I now live is the life of the Son of God.